Hello, and welcome to Danny Golden's podcast series featuring Miss Heidi Bacani, licensed marriage family therapist. Hi, Danny. Hi. This is um, season one, episode two. Right. And um, take 50, take 500. Yeah, take 50, <laughs> take 500, take 500,000. Um, <laughs> patience, patience. Um, so in episode one, of season one with Heidi, we just to recap, Heidi gave some great resources. Um, she talked about how to, we, we both talked about how to find a great therapist. And then Heidi gave the tool of therapist finder, which you can access by going on to psychology today. Right. And then also the rainbow directory. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Was there more? Did you want to add to the recap? Um, I'm going to recap after your disclaimer. Okay. Okay. So I'll go ahead and, and just share with the viewers and the listeners that this content is not a replacement for mental health services or medical advice and, um, not a replacement or not in any way, um, a diagnosis or treatment for mental health services. Um, the purpose of the podcast is, is purely for informational, educational purposes and for fun. Well I'll, said. I'll, period. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, so now going into the recap, um, last episode, Heidi and I both talked about and acknowledged the fact that therapists are just people. They're not gods. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's important to say that is because we were talking about people in positions of authority and power and, and, you know, even as young, I like when you call it, uh, little people, little, little people, uh -huh. we look up at our parents, um, and we think they're gods to some extent, you know, uh, we don't realize that they're just grown humans, bigger people. Right. Right. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, the importance of feeling safe, seen, and heard, knowing and trusting yourself, and knowing when to talk, when to listen, and then also when to exit stage left. Right. These are all, this is all in, in relationship to therapy, having a therapy, yes. having a therapy relationship uh, with your psychologist or psychiatrist or therapist. Like these are all tools that are necessary for having, um, for, for having a healthy relationship with a therapist, I think. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. I agree. And definitely. with yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, it kind of transfers over. It does transfer over into other relationships in life. Um, but when you're, I think working with a therapist is a working relationship. And so there's a lot of communication and a lot of, a lot of, um, dialogue, a lot of back and forth. And so these are the kinds of tools we use a lot of in communication. So, uh, it helps to have them, helps to have them. And if, if, if you're still on the road to developing these skills, a therapist needs to make a psychiatrist therapist needs to make accommodations for that and make sure, make sure that you feel seen and heard. Um, even when you don't know that you need that. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Cause when I, I first went into therapy, I really didn't know what I needed. I just knew I needed help. Right. You know? Yep. That's many of us for sure. Yeah. None of us learn. None of us are trained on what to do in therapy. Right. Right. So, it's definitely a skill that's developed, um, or, or, I mean, I guess we could read up on it, but, but, but most of us are usually in that, at that crisis point when we come to therapy. So we're already in like fight or flight mode as it is. It's hard to have the, the cognizance to like, know also to like manage what we're, what we're, um, feeling in the moment, thinking in the moment, saying in the moment when we're in that fight or flight mode. No, yeah. absolutely. And 
you know, we talked about this probably on one of our other recordings. Um, mm -hmm. When something physically happens to your body, so like you sprain your ankle or God forbid you break a bone, mm -hmm. you go to the doctor and then there's that you can see the physical healing. You can see it. You can feel right. it. Um, emotional health is very different and there's elements that you can't see, you can't quite put your finger on, you're just in pain. And um, the idea is to get that same catharsis that you would have having seen a doctor for like a, you know, a sprained ankle or a broken bone. And the reality is, like the physical injury, it takes just as long to heal or whatever that time period is to heal, oh, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's healed or it's not there. Right. But yeah, but the therapy work is really, it is um, illuminating or like kind of a deconstruction of what we're going through emotionally because we can't see what the client is is going through what pain the client's going through, it really is a process of like talking about what they're experiencing. So a lot of excavation work, um, deconstruction work, um, clarification work, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, uh, communication happens. I love that word excavation. Whenever I'm writing, <laughs> I'm always feel like I'm excavating like a tomb, right? And and what's in there and what am I going to find and how am I going to feel when I go, when I go in for that archaeological dig? <laughs> right. What do you do with the body after you find it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, jumping into it, um, Heidi and I decided today to talk about, uh, we wanted to dissect, we thought it would be helpful to dissect the digital short scene on dannygolden.com um, titled Therapists in Need of Therapy. And the reason why we thought it would be helpful is, well, first, I texted Heidi offline, obviously, and said, hey, do you have a problem with the name of this, ti uh, the title of this, of this digital short? Because I really wanted to express everything that I'd gone through. Um, not everything, but a synopsis of what, of some of the experiences I had faced when in trying to find the right provider. And, um, because of what this brings up and, and, you know, the different parts, we just thought this would be a good jumping off point because last time we had talked about how to find a therapist. So now this is the actual process of finding a therapist and, and what can transpire during that process, the feelings that can come up the uncomfortable situations that can occur and all the other fun filled moments. experiences and <laughs> moments that, that occur that I certainly never saw coming. Right. right. <laughs> it is a process. It's definitely as, as you all, as you viewers or listeners here, here, watch this. I mean, the, the process that Danny goes through is, is very, um, it's very accurate, I think, to what it can look like when you're trying to find a provider because you can trust yourself if you're not feeling comfortable and uh, continue to find another one. Um, you don't have to stay with someone that you don't feel seen or heard by uh, or isn't respecting your boundaries. Right. As you will see in her in her digital short or as you saw in your di her digital short so um it can take a few it can take a few attempts i think it's it, that happened to me when i was in search of a therapist as well so i think um it'll be helpful to know that that it, it can be a process sure. yeah and that you're not alone going through that process this right. is not it's not you it's just part of the process um yeah. Yeah, no. Um so okay, so jumping right in, the um therapist in need of therapy digital short, this happened to me. I can't mm -hmm. make this up. Um the first part um the therapist is misdiagnosing me and um insin insisting that I'm bipolar, which is actually a 
incorrect diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They aren't hearing me. And um, to your point of what you were saying earlier, I did try to stick with it for a while and kept trying to convince her because mm -hmm. I did buy some books and didn't really feel like I identified with what I was reading about the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really frustrating. And the keys thing in the skit was a real thing. Like the whole, like, <laughs> that was... <laughs> Maddening. The kicker. It was maddening. It was it was the exclamation on why I shouldn't be there, right? Like every time I did that, I was like, this is this is not for me. Um I think she was probably more focused on her keys than my therapy, but that's okay. Um I did learn, and I've said this on the other tapings that no that no one has heard because we've been practicing, but yeah. um Practice, practice, practice. Um, <laughs> what was I? Now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, um, all these therapists have really helped me in different ways. So even though the experiences were not necessarily always 100% positive, they were mm -hmm. definitely informative and yeah. helpful for That's me. Good. Yeah. That's good. And insight. Right. And forced me to like eventually after I'd given the, the, the therapist that's, or the psychiatrist that's being, um, uh, an episode in, in yeah, in part one that I'm doing that bit about, um, I eventually went and talked to my therapist and said, I need to find a different psychiatrist and went and sought a second opinion. It was the best decision I made. Yeah. And part of that process that was painful was being patient. Um, patient to, to find the right provider, patient to get the right diagnosis, you know, right. all those things that um, we don't really have control over in the process. Right. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh, psychi and psychiatrists are, um, nowadays, they're much more, it's my, it's my, it's an, it's, it's my, um, it's the impression I get from talking to clients and it wasn't my experience with psychiatry, to be honest, but like, it was definitely, it's something I talk with clients pretty often about is that they mostly focus on medication management. They're not going to do talk therapy. And so because they don't do talk therapy, they're not really, they're not exploring the inner world of the client a lot. And, that can be the source of the misdiagnosis, but, but I think that a client deserves to have a psychiatrist that isn't just going to focus on medication management is, is interested in the client's inner workings. And, um, so that's the other red flag, I guess, to look for. If you're, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable with a, with a psychiatrist, it's, Maybe because they're not asking enough questions or the right questions. And so move on. You don't have to stay with that person. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and that was another reason why I wanted to do the video on that is so I could give the listeners and the viewers um, an example mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. that looks like. Because when I was going through the process, I didn't have the luxury of seeing a lot of people talk openly and candidly about this uncomfortable experience. Right. Uh, right, um, right. And then we kind of touched on this already, but, you know, men mental health is, is invisible, but that doesn't mean it's less painful. So, um, right. you know, you'll see in the progressions, if you haven't watched the digital short yet, that the character I play, you know, gets progressively healthier throughout, you know, um, part one, part two, part three, like as mm -hmm. the, the uh, digital short progresses. And with that, mm -hmm. um, I get less uncomfortable with speaking my mind, speaking my truth, uh, you know, standing up for what feels right. And that's um, a beautiful part of the process. So even though the beginning can feel like you've just agreed to go on a 24-hour hike, by the 23rd hour, you're mm -hmm. going to feel happy that you committed to something that you wanted to do. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> I was, yeah. Yeah, I believe that's a lot of people's experience for sure. Yeah. But the pay the hard work does pay off. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. Hold on. We have a guest appearance with, with Mr. Oh. I don't know. We'll, we'll see him, but he wants to come in. Mr. Barkley Love. Okay. He hasn't decided <laughs> what he wants to do. Um, so we'll just leave it to, for him to make that decision. Um, okay. Yeah. So exactly what Heidi was saying. Um, you know, it's good. It's and what I alluded to is it's good to get a second opinion, and mm-hmm. um, you don't need to disclose that you're getting a second opinion. So when you decide that you're not jiving with the therapist, it's okay to exit stage left no, without. Yeah. If you don't want to disclose anything, something to your psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, you don't have to. Uh, you're, we're all adults. And so we have a right to keep things private. If we're not ready to share something or your inner voice is telling you not to share it, or, um, it's going to be harmful to the work that you're trying to do harmful to you in some way. You don't have to, that's, that's something that I think none of us are told in therapy as well that should be explicit. No. And I love that. And one of the, um, actually one of the therapists that's featured in part two, which we're going to jump into in a second, Mm -hmm. actually gave me that bit of advice when I first walked in. And it was one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got, which was no one can pull words out of my mouth. So you don't have to say things that you don't want to say. You don't have to give a, give a reason. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do something, you right. don't need to do it. You, you don't need to do it. Um, the person right. who needs the justification or needs the reasoning, that's on them. Right. Exactly. That's called boundary right. work. And I think it's totally okay to have boundaries with any medical or mental health provider. As yes. Well. No, thank you. And I think it's important for people to hear that. So. Yeah. I'm glad we're like making these these rules explicit. Yeah. I think it's, it is. Definitely. Um, okay. Now getting into part two. Um, so part two was the therapist I was just, uh, talking about and psychiatrist. Uh, no, part one was the psychiatrist. Part two was the therapist. Yes. Um, so this was the therapist that I actually went to, um, to find a different psychiatrist (laughs) and she referred me to someone else who I actually, um, really connected with and was amazing and, um, was, and feel very fortunate to have had our paths cross. Um, the second therapist wanted more of, we connected so well that it almost bordered on talking about boundaries on not Mm -hmm. having a good Mm -hmm. set of boundaries in place where, Mm -hmm it was almost like we were morphing into friends and I don't, that wasn't Mm -hmm. appropriate. So we would do field trips, um, sometimes and, um, also, and even though I found her, uh, everything that I learned from her extremely helpful, Mm -hmm. it did get to a point, um, where, and I said this on a different recording, but again, the guests haven't heard is I was getting ready to go to Spain. So it was the first time I was going to go abroad for like the first time in a while. Mm -hmm. And I was really, really excited. And Mm -hmm. as I was in the car on the way to the airport, I was getting text messages from this therapist, like wanting to book my next session, which I just thought was weird. And then Uh I kind of kept it at bay and had a quick conversation with them and then thought I had taken care of it. And then while I was abroad, I was getting text messages Uh wanting to confirm the appointment that I thought I had made it clear. I didn't want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, so it kind of felt like one of those situations in life where you're ready for a a relationship to take a time out and the other person Mm -hmm. wants to hold on tighter. Yeah. 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 Good work, Danny. It sounds like you're making it, making it clear, clear to her and she just was not acknowledging that for whatever reason. Yeah. It was hard to do that. Um, because like we were saying when we first started this podcast, you know, 
I assume, which isn't always, which is not always correct, that the person in the authority mm-hmm. position is going to be the one that's going to handle the boundary work and all that other stuff the mm-hmm. most efficiently um, and effectively. Right. right. And going back to that point about therapists are just people and they're not gods, that's not the case. And I think that's important for the listeners and viewers to hear and be reminded of, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We still have a response as, as the, as the client, I think we still have, or patient, we still have the responsibility to advocate for ourselves because, because boundaries can get, um, messy and, and, uh, it's, it's okay to check your therapist or your psychiatrist and their boundaries are messy. (laughs) It happens. No. And yeah, I, I, no, it definitely does. And you know, that particular instance challenged me because I was ready to take a time out from therapy. And that therapist at the Mm -hmm. time was like, are you sure? And the more they said, are you sure? The more I was sure. (laughs) I was like, yes, (laughs) this is actually making me feel like I want to go now. (laughs) So um, that's always funny too. When you think, when I think back on that, um, Oh, and then I wanted you to talk about how the rules of therapy, what's the operating code of conduct? Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a good segue into that. So the therapists that want to have friendships with clients, it happens. Um, it's, it's, I'm guessing it's probably a mutual. I'm hoping it's a mutual, um, uh, mutual interest in, in having that two-way relationship. It's strongly discouraged. I'll just start with that. It's not a legal issue, but it is a, a ethical issue and a therapist or psychiatrist, psychologist. I mean, we can get in a lot of trouble for, um, having dual relationships with our clients. Um, there's a licensing board that we report to that, allows us to have a license, uh, that we check in with once for, for licensed marriage family therapists. It's, um, I think after the, your first year, you, you have two years before they check in on you just to make sure you want to keep your license active. I don't know about psychiatrists and psychologists and stuff, but, um, yeah, like it's, they, they definitely, there are consequences for license LMFTs that, that cross that line, even though it's not a legal line, um, that ethical line, there's major consequences for it. So, but there is, there are people that do want to have relationships with their therapists and, and then the reciprocal of that, you know, uh, th- um, clients that want to have relationships with a therapist, therapists that want to have relationships with their clients. And generally speaking, two years is the cutoff period where you have to wait to have a friendship with someone. Um, I personally don't recommend it or think that it's a good idea because once you've established that relationship with a therapist. I know for me, like I'll tell clients that, that you may want to come back to me four years down the road or five years down the road. And you've built all this wonderful work with someone. And if you have to like restart with a new therapist, because you've established a relationship with me, it would be a lot of work to start from the beginning again. So better to keep this a safe place for you for future need. Um, I have many clients that return after years and years and years, you know, new things come up in their life, marriage, kids, divorce, um, losses. So it's, it's nice, I think, for them to be able to come back and not have to rehash old stuff. Um, from their childhood, like, cause I already know about all that stuff already. So I think that's why that, that rule is in place. It's definitely, um, 
easier to continue to have a conversation with someone who has the background information than having to regurgitate mm-hmm. all that and and also mm-hmm. from the client side have to relive it like sometimes you know right. i could be healed from something but i just still don't want to talk about it and relive it you know i don't want to expend that energy right. focusing on it right so to be able to just reference it with someone who has my a history a proper history of my background that w- is it's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes for an efficient, more efficient therapy process. Yeah. I guess if there, there is. Right. Anything, right. Like, no, that is, that is an efficiency. <laughs> Cause you know, it's like, I'm thinking about those phone calls, like where you're on, like, um, you like, uh, I don't know, again, like I can't think of something, an example, but like, um, I have this like vision where I'm on the phone with an operator and there's something wrong, right? Like, let's say like I bought a new uh-huh. computer and like the computer is not working and then they pass me on to the next person. I got to re-explain and they pass me on and then right. I got to re-explain. Exactly. It's like, imagine doing that, but with your whole uh, life, every time that you I, go meet uh, with someone new, no. that's definitely yeah. an efficiency yeah. that you don't have to do if you stay with the same person, right. if you have the luxury of being, making that decision. Right. Or if you like right. that person, it worked right. out well with that therapist. Yeah. yeah. Efficient, time efficient and less, like you said earlier, you don't have to relive as much having to explain things over and over, right. and over again. Yeah. Which I. The rules, rules. Oh, no, no, no. Ahead, that was it. Yeah. I was just going to say rules and boundaries. They do keep us safe. No, I concur. I, I think that um, I'm glad you elaborated on those. Yeah. Because again, I didn't get my guidebook before I went and I'm sure I could have done research and, you know, there could be a hundred reasons why something, but to, to have that advice from, you know, a licensed marriage family therapist like yourself is helpful. It's, um, there's some validation that I feel getting that information. Good. Yeah. We hope this is, this is, uh, helpful for the listeners and the and the viewers of course i i hope so too and i'm sure it is um so again reminder therapists are just people which means they make mistakes and um let's get into part three so part three in the digital short um i don't know if it's because it's the most recent that it hit me the hardest or not the hardest, but when I was doing it, I rem- I rem- re reenacting the scene. I remember getting annoyed again. So not a hundred percent over it just yet, but this really did happen where a therapist accused me of lying about reading a book. And I know. And the reason why uh-huh. I found it so offensive is because logically, uh-huh. That just doesn't make sense. Why am I going to pay you X amount of dollars? Here I am on the road to try to find some help because I'm in pain and I I need some relief. And now instead of having you on my side, you're going to accuse me of doing something that doesn't even logically make sense. So. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's like I said before, this is all three scenes definitely made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because they're, that's an that's that's an accusation that I can't see happening, but it happened yeah. to you. <laughs> so I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, I don't need, and I didn't even know what to say to her at the time. I think I thought like, you know, when someone says something to you that you're not expecting, and it takes you like a beat to like process it, and then eventually, right. what happened was COVID happened, and I got an email about, mm-hmm. you know, the office hours or whatever. And that was when I took it upon myself to email this therapist back and basically say, don't ever contact me again. I've never had a professional accuse me of something so ridiculous in my life. Why would I see, right. you know, everything I said to you, like, why would I see you and lie if I really want help? And I wasn't looking for an answer back, nor did I care. I just Certainly didn't feel safe, seen, and heard. And then, this, and then this therapist also did the cartotomacy reading on me, oh, right. um, 
which when I first walked in, I was like, oh my God, this is really cool. <laughs> She's going to do a tarot reading or whatever. And I didn't know they did this in therapy. This is great. I'm going to oh, learn about myself. So oh, we're not trying. Right, right. So <laughs> here I am like having an open mind, like, okay. And um, I had so many questions and I kept interrupting her with my questions and she just kept getting annoyed. And that was when she threw in the like, well, it's clear you have issues with your mom. And I was like, well, that's just me. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding my head because we've talked about this issue come up in your other sessions. And yeah, I'm just remembering back to our conversations about how like this mom business yes. <laughs> came up three times. All these yes, therapists. all three therapists did go for the mom angle and the, <laughs> the mom, mom angle. And I was like, yeah. No, that's not. No. <laughs> no. It's not something that I'm hiding. It's just not even there. Um, I'm like, can we talk about the messed up people in this world? Not my mom. Right. Um, and how to deal with those. Um, right. We 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 can talk about this for a minute cuz I think it's a good it's a funny it's a funny thing to illuminate, I think, to someone who's going into therapy that this this will happen cuz therapists are are trained to look at mom and dad issues. Um, it's, it's a tool in our toolkit for understanding the client. And I will not assume, I, I try my hardest not to assume what a client is thinking or feeling. And I, I often will check in and say, does that feel, does that, does that sound, is that accurate? Like, is, does that resonate for you? Um, because we're not mind readers. I mean, we can't, we can't, um, understand everything a client has experienced. So it is, I find it, it's much more effective to make sure that the client, what I'm hearing is accurate. And then also to make sure that the client feels seen and heard in that way too, that I'm really getting what they're, they're thinking or feeling. Um, mom issues is, mom issues are not the first, mom and dad issues are not the first things that I, I grab for in my toolkit. Um, I'm not, it's called psychodynamic um, therapy, which is, something I do use, but not, not as often as my other tools, but it's, it's funny that that's, that was happening for you in all, th in all three visits that that's where they went. I yeah. I know my poor mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's, I would tell her too. And she'd be like, what? Um, yeah. I'm glad you talked about that. Cause that's very interesting. Um, it was interesting when I did some research, like on my own to try to like look up like trauma and like what I'd gone through and everything. Oh. It did kind of, it did want to pin it on childhood and, and that part yeah. of um, the process. And it, there was a disconnect when I would read about it because that wasn't where the issue was. I had a very idyllic childhood, you know, for me it was, you know, I wrote this mm -hmm. uh, on the website somewhere where, you know, it's not my family that messed me up. It was the world. And I truly do mean that I didn't have the proper tools on how to deal with some personalities and situations that I found myself in and create the proper and necessary boundaries, exit stage left when I should have, and um, cut people out yeah. of my life sooner. Um, so it was funny to constantly hear the mom thing come up because... For me, that was the one area where I felt the most like a walking baby blanket. Safe. Right. And the most, yeah, like, come on. Are you kidding me? You know, it's like, it's like I'm a child and there's like a room full of toys and they're like, well, this one is going to be the one that you're going to play with the least. And you're like, no, that's my favorite one. I sleep with it all the time. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. You were, you yeah, you were not hot. You were cold on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I hope they backed off too. Cause I know for me, like when, when I don't get it, like when I get it, get the, uh, when I'm not hearing correctly or um, yeah, when I'm not hearing correctly what the client's talking about, like I back off, like, you know, I'm like really backed off way off just to make sure that I give them space to explain. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I mean, 
I think a couple times in a couple situations, it was brought up more than once, but yeah. every time I just would have this look of shock on my face and just non, yeah. I wouldn't contribute. So it's like, if you're not feeding the flame, what can they do with it? Right. Because there's nothing to add. And I would just kind of have right. this look on my face of just being dumb, dumbfounded because <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. It's so good. So brave. I think that you asserted yourself. Thank you. And brought it back during a later session. I, I've done that myself in therapy. Uh, I, I'm a slow processor. So when it comes to my own work, so I definitely will look at, what I worked on after a therapy session and bring up stuff later, sometimes much later. So that's something to something we can definitely do to advocate for ourselves is to explore with a therapist moments when we didn't feel seen and heard. That's so important to do. We need to know that the clin the person sitting across from us is going to make the space for us to, um, to clarify something and that they get it right when they finally do hear it for the second time. So, no, I yeah. love that. And I also think, Help. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying helpful for the process, having building the relationship and for, for us developing our, uh, our self-advocacy skills. Yeah. I was just, um, I was just thinking when you said it's um, how important it is to be able to have that open, candid conversation with your provider. It is a great training mm -hmm. ground too. And it certainly helped me be yeah. able to have those conversations in other relationships. Yeah. Because yeah. the more, pra more you practice anything, the better you become in it. So um, that's all I was thinking when you were saying that was that it was really um, – what I said, like the perfect training ground to be able to feel more comfortable doing that in, on the daily when I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. That's good that you, you, there, I'm going to guess to some degree you felt, well, let me think a sign of, I'll, I'll phrase it as a sign of, a sign of good work being done with a therapist, I think is when we, the, the client does challenge the therapist. That means that there's a level of safety in the room also, but in your situation, it was kind of different. You were sort of already like, I think on your way out, it was a different situation. Um, but in my, in my experience, when a client challenges, not challenges, that's a strong word, but like, will want clarification about something, want to, want to explore something with me, revisit something. To me, I take it as, as a sign of like, where we have, there's a trust, there's a, there's a relationship, there's a trust there in the relationship. This, this client feels safe enough to challenge me. And, um, and I think that's a good thing. I don't, I don't want to be put on a pedestal, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want a client to just take everything I say, um, as you know, the all, the albeit truth, you know? So that's good. That's really good. I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think to your point, even though I was kind of had one foot out the door in all three situations mm -hmm. before I made the, the full mm -hmm. decision to leave, they did all three create space in the sense where I didn't, I wasn't fearful. Like it wasn't these tyrants that I was seeing that I uh -huh. was afraid to speak my mind. So that, I mean, that's, that's, you know, I've, unfortunately I've encountered that with an old boss where it was, I was afraid to speak up. Um, yeah, but until I wasn't right. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, I think it's very important that, therapists create that space for people to mm -hmm. feel and then that mm -hmm. people challenge themselves to bring stuff right. up right because it's really a personal challenge like I don't want to have to have this conversation I don't want to have to have this uncomfortable moment can't they just know right. no they don't you got to say it you got to just walk right. through that storm and just do it you know yeah exactly as exactly. painful as it is that you've, you've taken that skill and transferred, transferred it over into, I think 
other areas of your life of being able to say your truth. Uh, I think this is an example. You know, what we're doing right now is an example of that. I'll never stop complimenting you. Oh, you're so thoughtful. Because <laughs> I, I do love this about you that you're, you're able to be vulnerable and to speak your mind and to be honest and use this, this platform as an opportunity to do that is, I think it's a beautiful thing, Danny, that you can do this. You know, I think it's, we need more models of that in the world. So. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate what were you going to say? I appreciate you doing oh. this. Well, I appreciate you yeah. doing this with me and <laughs> I'm very grateful for those wonderful words. And I think, You know, I've spent most of my life just being who I am and and part of that is being vulnerable and then the more you accept mm -hmm. that and and the more I accept that and embrace it, the more power there is in that, yeah. the more that the strength there is. Absolutely. Um yeah. that my emotions are for are, are a superpower for me and if I can just yeah. tune them correctly and and accept the fact that I am not I'm going to go to that quote I yeah. am just a person. I am not a God and I'm not expected to be perfect. You know, I think, um, gives me that room to learn what feels right within that vulnerability lane. Right. Right. So. Yeah. It's an important skill in life. I think we, we, in that vulnerability, we have an opportunity for more intimacy, for more, you know, more human connection, connection with ourselves, understanding ourselves and what we need, what we want. I mean, just, you know, it's, it's just like, means so much. <laughs> I've definitely had those moments where I'm like, and I'm by myself and I'm like, okay, I wish I could share this. This is kind of awesome. Um, right? yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And, yeah. um, yeah, just excited to do this work with you. I know. I know. I know it's, it's been a little daunting lately with all of our, our, our takes of this one, but, but it is, it is fun. It's been fun every step of the way. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it's practice, like part of being vulnerable on a podcast is, you know, having faith mm -hmm. and trust that you know, you're going to be heard as intended, right? There's, um, that's another thing I learned in therapy is yeah. that people by definition are just not the best communicators. We're just not, we seldom say uh, what we, what we mean. And exactly. Totally. Right. So then doing yeah. a podcast where you're constantly talking and you're, and you're having to, you know, and in a perfect world, my, I would be on, like, I wouldn't have these brain lapses right. where like, I can't think of words and things like that. But you know, it's, it's just right. getting comfortable in my own skin. Yep. We're at, that's yeah. totally okay. I know, but no, I enjoy it. Um, okay. Oh, one thing I wanted to talk about too, before we get to my second yeah. question, um, is another reason why I did this skit and why I do a lot of the skits I do is because the importance uh -huh. of laughter and how, Laughter oh, yeah, yeah. is very mm -hmm. healing for me. And you and I've talked about that. And then you actually talked about um, research on that. So right. I would like to, the right. listeners to hear about that research. Sure. It's it's a well-studied well uh, topic, humor, and its effects on our mental health and our mood. So much that there are classes taught in every graduate program in psychology that really focuses on the value and the importance of humor. Um, personal anecdote, I took a class from Dr. Harvey Mendez at Antioch University in my grad school program. And I think I, I, think I remember him laughing 80% of the time during classes because he would just crack himself up and he was modeling for us how to have a lighter heart how to have how to have a way to cope with the stress of life through humor um I don't think that was accidental or unintentional I think he really was trying to teach us that it's okay to laugh and um even even um when a client is having 
um, a tough time with an event, you know, if there's an opening to laugh about it, I definitely try to seize that opportunity. I mean, I'm very careful because I don't want to offend anyone, but but I really try to in, include humor in my therapy sessions. Um, a good belly laugh is so, so therapeutic. So yeah, humor is very important. Oh gosh, I love humor. Yeah, I know. Healing. I didn't, I cut you off. What'd you say? I was saying therapy is very important for healing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, humor is- I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Um, Sorry. <laughs> No, there'll be like sometimes. Sometimes I'll do something, and I'll be, I'll be like, "Oh my god, what was I thinking?" I'll be mortified, and then later, once I'm my brain's relaxed and I'm and I'm more in a relaxed state, I'll start laughing and crying, laughing, thinking about what happened, and I'll be like, "Oh my god, that's ridiculous. I love it," you know. And it is. It's a way for humor is definitely something that a tool that I use to heal. Yeah, good to shake it off. Oh yeah. Okay. Now that we are embarking on the, um, <laughs> oh, did you want to do your PSA? Okay, oh yeah. Let's, let's do yeah. PSA. So as promised, I would share with the audience a factoid about some mental health service, um, or maybe not even mental health. I don't know. Something that I, that I find hopefully helpful to, to the listeners and viewers and this this episode's um psa is about antioch university at los angeles counseling center um this is a counseling center that i hold near and dear to my heart because not only am i an alum i was also a client there at one time um, when i was trying to finish my 200 face to face, 200 hours of, uh, individual therapy that wasn't required for graduation for a, um, for a grad student. I think this was the most economical way to finish my hours, um, therapy hours, psychotherapy hours for graduation. So it's lovely that it's open for the grad students, but it's also open to everyone, everyone that, that wants to go, uh, and find low cost, very low cost therapy. And it's open seven days a week, which is also very convenient. And it is by appointment only. So you do need to call this, the counseling center at 310-574-2813. Again, that's 310-574-2813. And they're located at 400 Corporate Point in Culver City, California. And the zip is 90230. So good place. Good place to go for for therapy. Um, You are going to be seen by some some clients will see interns there. And then some clients will see licensed people. They have both types of providers. Please don't be intimidated by the fact that you're seeing an intern. These these interns are very um, regular, rigorously supervised by the director uh, and get a lot of feedback on their work. And actually, you're getting, like, in a sense, two therapists, you know, for, for what you're paying for because you're getting all of the insights and experience of someone who's very, very well seasoned. And then a new person who's very into doing the work and is enthusiastic and wants to learn. So it's a very um, good place to receive services. I love that. Thank you so much, Heidi. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, anything else? No, I think that's okay. it. I think I talked up, I talked it up enough. I hyped up Annie <laughs> <laughs> Well, today's um, episode question is, what do you think the biggest gift of life is or has to offer? What is the biggest gift of life or that life has to offer? So my answer is still the same again. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest gift life has offered me has been human connection for sure. Human connection is an essential 
part of my daily life for feeling seen, heard, loved, held. Um, and it's not just in the verbal human connection. It's also in the nonverbal things that happen in the day to day, a smile from random people or a good morning greeting. Um, you know, people that, that let you through the intersection, you know, those count for me oh, as yeah. well. Those are big. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like little, little we acts are. of kindness that people do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's in, in the relationships, the personal relationships, the more intimate relationships I have. I mean, that's where I feel the most alive is in the connection that I have with friends, family, pets, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that's, that's like the juice for me. I think when it comes to feeling, feeling happy, um, the goal for me is contentment, but like there are definitely moments in my day where that happiness flows. And I think that all stems from the day-to-day human connection that I have with animals and people. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why that's the gift for sure from life. I love that. Mm. That's great. Well, thank you. Sure. Well, um, oh, go ahead. I was saying, keep it coming. I know. I got way more questions. Um, well, that's all for, wait, what? (laughs) Many more. I do. Are you kidding me? Waiting (laughs) for those. Pull them out of my pocket. Um, Well, we just, Heidi and I just want to thank all of our viewers and our listeners for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Um, We really appreciate you. And um, we hope you join us for episode three. Um, We'll be talking about highly sensitive people. Oh, yeah. And just love yourself, be kind. And something I always try to think about is not to be the hate that happened to me, make the choice to be the better and bigger person, spread love and joy. Uh, It's not always easy, but I like myself a whole lot better when I take the high road. So. Right. Good advice. Well, thank you so much, everyone. (laughs) Hope you have a wonderful day, evening, and all of that good stuff.